Insights to Live By, the podcast, where we discover new pearls of wisdom to put into action and enrich the daily lives of others. There's no time or energy to waste, so let's get right to it. Welcome to Insights to Live By. I am your host, Matt Zinman, and today we have what's nothing less than what can only be described as an all-important topic that once again goes to the very heart of life enrichment, and then some. But first, in light of our focus today, I would be remiss if we got too far ahead of ourselves without doing a self-check-in. So please stand by and just allow me to take a moment. You know, I gotta say, I'm feeling pretty darn good. It's definitely a combination of being very grateful to have you join me. So thank you for being here. And what can I say? I am enamored about this show, especially. I surely hope you share those sentiments. Now, as I dig a little deeper to reflect on the source of this certain positive energy, it's definitely, at least in part, a carryover from my conversation with none other than Anthony Trucks in this week's guest episode. Sure, he's a former pro football player and three-time American Ninja Warrior, but what's really cool as Shift is that he's also CEO of Identity Shift. So, as you might expect, we talked about shifting your identity, which is an often overlooked facet of becoming the best version of ourselves. So, be sure to check that out, and as Anthony is prone to say, make great shift happen. All right, as we lay the groundwork for our discussion here, we'll need a dose of continuity from last week's show about minding your mood health. It is a serious subject that I believe affects everyone in some way, shape, or form. It needed to be taken head on, and so we did. I also felt it important to be open about my personal experiences, which I admit came with some trepidation. So, Thank you again for permitting me to share more about myself. And I hope you were able to come away from that conversation with some practical insights, actionable guidance, helpful tools and techniques to foster healthy living. Speaking of which, one final reflection about proper mood health is achieving the goal to dispel the obvious myth that our brains are somehow separate from our bodies. I think you can agree with me on this point. And so, by extension, as we shift our focus to explore the multifaceted topic of managing energy, we'll want to take a holistic approach by getting to the very sources of our energy in terms of overall well-being. Naturally, This is more than about maintaining our well-being mentally. It's also essential physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so 
What we'll do about these all-important sources of our energy is encapsulate that description as simply being a life athlete. And then we'll circle back about that. Now, given the very fact that you are here, I'm going to make a sure bet that you adhere to some level of energy management and awareness. Though that bet might hedge a bit if you happen to call it something else. However, it's also highly likely that managing energy means different things to different people. And the reason they may not realize is that, at least in my view, there are three distinct categories about energy, personally, interpersonally, and universally. So before we break down each of these subtopics is the importance of recognizing at least one thing they have in common, that being about mindfulness. And it's a term that gets thrown around quite a bit. For our purposes, it's to assure, as a frame of reference, that we're working with the same definition. And quite simply, mindfulness is the quality or state of being conscious or aware of something, which is to say fully engaged with whatever someone is doing in the moment, ideally free from distraction or judgment and aware of thoughts and feelings without getting caught up in them. In its highest form, you may have heard me describe mindfulness as having an amplified awareness, which I covered regarding the topic of perception. When it comes to personal energy, my experiences are about practical approaches in everyday life, mainly when it comes to being with yourself. In this case, it represents a form of personal currency in the amount and kinds of energy you possess and how you expend them. It's also about shifting your focus, at least to some degree, to viewing energy management as being at least, if not more important, than time management. In the example of any given workday, you'll want to remain keenly self-aware about your energy levels. It's important to recognize when you've reached the point of knowing your gas tank is nearing empty. And maybe you can catch yourself writing the same email or sentence for 10 minutes. That's a good time to make a habit of stepping away when possible. Stay in self-awareness mode. A well-established general rule is to take breaks about every 60 to 90 minutes or less to maintain optimal energy. It may seem counterintuitive to stop working. And that can be true when you're in a groove. But for most other times, just taking a few minutes to find your reset button and recharge will boost your overall productivity. There are also those times to check in with yourself to align your energy level with certain activities that you need to complete on your overall to-do list. For example, my personal life and entrepreneurial endeavors have been intertwined since starting my own business in 2002. If it was me struggling to write that email, I'd stop then and there to do something easier instead. It could be filing, laundry, or some other mindless chore. And I think these kinds of options are more accessible with 
more people now working from home. And repurposing myself in this way coincides with time management in that I'm still doing what needs to get done. It's just something less taxing. And for those who do not work at home, there are still enough options to do something that needs getting done. And the same goes for aligning your optimal energy with more intense activity that requires higher mental acuity. These types of tasks may also be most productively accomplished by doing 15 to 20 minute sprints to achieve your desired results. Like my wife, Erica, is really into this when she has a bunch of projects and she actually sets a timer like she's on a game show and her competitive spirit kicks into gear and she takes pride and gains satisfaction in getting as much done as possible. It isn't an everyday thing, it's just a great tactic she employs. So for anyone, doing that means cultivating habits in concert with behavioral triggers to stay on top of your own awareness game and maintain your composure. Here's where I'd like to give a shout out to Brendan Burchard for his book, High Performance Habits. He's a great champion of these techniques and definitely practices what he preaches. He also distinguishes these habits into what he calls the HP6, which involve seeking clarity, generating energy, raising necessity, increasing productivity, developing influence, and demonstrating courage. So whether it's his system or the many others out there, as with the various topics I cover, it takes practice and discipline to create new habits. And this all comes down to an essential question. How badly do you want your quality of life to be even the slightest better? And we'll revisit this shortly when it comes to being a life athlete. Here's where I'd like to do the opposite of glossing over what can be a crucial moment to redefine your life priorities. In fact, Speaking of managing energy in relation to life enrichment, this might be a good time to take a break from listening. A lot of us could benefit from learning the lesson that it's completely okay to take five. I won't take it personally if that's not something you want to do this very moment. However, for conversation purposes, let's pretend that you do. The very first priority in these five minutes is to do another self-check-in. Like, how's your energy, your mood, and your mental acuity? What might you do to improve any or all of those conditions? What would make you feel better and relax to regain focus? So it could be stretching, checking sports scores, going on a brisk walk, meditating, napping, playing a mindless game, or shopping online. Some of us do more of this than others, but not necessarily as an intentional habit. A lot of what we're talking about here comes down to what's worth it to you to change your behavior or at least improve your current habits. What are some things that you can do to feel better and be your best self? Is it to lose weight, commit to a workout routine, and... You know, do what it takes to gain more energy. 
Another part of this equation comes down to your personal values, such as your work-life balance and creating space to enjoy more family time. The operative question that doesn't get much more straightforward is to ask yourself, do I live to work or do I work to live? Kindly permit me to be more direct. Do you live to work or do you work to live? And if you're somehow not 100% certain about that answer, then I encourage you to make this the very moment to decide. Seriously, if you haven't done so already, feel free to hit the pause button. I'll still be here when you get back. It really is that important. All of this plays a significant role to identify how you expend your personal energy and what you need to adapt, however possible, whatever it is that may be a drain. Like one major one for me, especially as a younger man, had to do with getting tangled up in my decision-making process. And granted, there's a big difference between something routine like what to have for dinner versus something major like deciding which house to buy. Decisions are relative. But gratefully, I have experienced some life upgrades on this subject with special thanks to Malcolm Gladwell for his book, Blink. The central point he proved is that those who make decisions by trusting their gut make as good, if not better, decisions than overthinkers, which is the condition perhaps best known as analysis paralysis. Gladwell introduced a concept called thin slicing, which is to identify a single data point that represents all you need to know about something or someone on which to base a decision overall. And I've worked hard over the years to trust my gut more and to not expend unnecessary energy by overthinking or overpreparing for things, as well as to identify thin slices that shorten my decision curve. Here's also where self-trust is another pillar of life enrichment in being at the source of earned confidence. There also are adoptable, practical approaches. One example in this case, previously mentioned, is to set aside a worry hour for those who have a tendency to do that. All of us are forever a work in progress. That said, the next time you find yourself wrestling with yourself, try doing a gut check and just go with it. All right, we've pretty well addressed being mindful of our personal energy and managing it within ourselves at any given moment. And surely for many of us, the primary source of our happiness is about connection and its importance to fulfillment as human beings. We are social creatures. So let's take a fresh look at those with whom we surround ourselves on an ongoing basis. This has less to do with practical day-to-day ways we manage personal energy as it does our awareness about energy exchanges between us and among others. Focusing on managing interpersonal energy also relates directly and in direct proportion to my previous emphasis about the personal responsibility we all have about how we affect others as well as the need to be alert about how others impact us. 
This truly is an all too easily overlooked aspect of personal well-being and our quality of life in concert with our many personal relationships, as well as the interactions we have with those best described as strangers. A simple example I think we've all had happen is encountering a restaurant server in a bad mood. Let's say you walk in with some friends, and you're all smiling and laughing, having a great time. And then without warning, your server clearly flips you and your group an attitude, like for no reason. You just got there. Their negative vibe is obvious, and you all take notice. In the exchange, two of your friends suddenly find themselves annoyed about the server's attitude. So what just happened? Everyone was in a good mood a moment ago, and now they're annoyed. Something along the lines of, well, what the heck is their problem? It's a form of energy transference. Alternatively, you and your other friends choose to keep your shields up, remain neutral, and recognize that the person is just having a bad day, right? You clearly did nothing wrong. Put another way, you make a conscious choice not to let it negatively affect your good times together. In this case, you take a healthy approach to rely on a dose of compassion and remain objective. You might even go a step further and be intentional about cheering your server up, such as by finding a way to make them smile or even laugh. In fact, let's say you give that a try. Giving off good vibes can be just as contagious. And my son Jake and I have done this often, like whenever we meet someone who clearly needs a lift. It might be in a restaurant or checkout line or a bank teller. We try to give them a reason to smile. It might be cracking a joke or mainly being self-deprecating. And it's Jake making fun of me. It's just a simple act of non-random kindness with near-instant, all-around gratification. Now, let's apply some energy awareness where you maintain that mental armor, especially in a room full of strangers. Let's role-play as if you're at a professional networking event. You stay keenly aware of the moods those around you are in, as well as your own, and act mindfully and respectfully. But when you let your guard down, that energy transference becomes unnoticeable and your mood shifts inexplicably. Again, most people remain unmindful about this phenomenon. There's a lot of energy in a room like that. The good news is that the majority of those individuals likely focus toward positive energy or at least have a neutral mentality because your being at a network event is a lot about making positive first impressions and putting your best foot forward. So in contrast to the cranky server are those you might observe to be charismatic. They seem to have a magnetic personality and they just light up a room. Is that or could that be you? How about when energy exchanges in crowds, especially sporting events? We often refer to the advantage of having the home field, ice, and court. And sure, there are other factors like familiarity, and players not having to travel, but most of us have first-hand experience with a shift in momentum when the home team feeds off their fans. 
The science here is a little debatable, and you're free to decide for yourself. While it's somehow been a few decades since I've played hockey in front of a large crowd, I, for one, know this to be true. And naturally, this reference occurs in a pre- and post-pandemic world. Now, let's get to the heart of what matters most about interpersonal energy exchanges involving those closest to us. I believe there's a certain truth to the notion that we become the combined average sum of the five people we associate with most. And you've probably heard that one. And I think this is especially true during our formative years in high school and college. Though we do not get to choose our family, we do have significant control over our friendships, romantic relationships, and work acquaintances. Keep in mind that we also control the amount of time and the activities we do together. So, who are the five people in your life? For purposes of this conversation, let's regard them as being our tribe. What do the members of your tribe typically do to contribute or take away from your happiness? If you identify one or more individuals who tend to drain your energy more than they do to feed it, it may be time to reconsider with whom you spend your time. Trust your personal warning system, part of which we touched on about spidery manipulators and when stress seeps into your sleep. Again, if you wake up in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning and a certain person or situation is inflicting involuntary stress, it's time to make that a high priority to seek relief. Remember, those who mistreat you are the ones with something wrong. Healthy people don't go around destroying others. That brings us to another pillar, that being of self-respect when it comes to romantic relationships. Personally, having been a single dad for a number of years, I did my share of dating and have had several meaningful relationships prior to meeting Erica. Nevertheless, whenever the time came to consider my dating checklist of what mattered to me in being with someone there was a certain checkbox that mattered most. And you may recall this very same point arose when we discussed the topic of be aware of spiders and how it remained unanswered until now, which is that I had to consider the essential question about the overall experience in being with that person, which is whether they boosted or drained my energy. And this is a perfect example of thin slicing. A subset of that was whether I felt they brought out the best in me and inspired growth, or they were stifling and brought out my lesser self. Maybe any of these individuals who are truly spiders are also like energy vampires in your life. And this may sound harsh, but it's too important to ignore. Is someone holding you back and sapping your quality of life? Is it clear that the only behavior and perspective you're able to change is your own? Might this be the right time to recalculate your self-worth? And if not now, why not? And when else? When you find yourself 
inexplicably coming back for more, it's akin to needing to break a bad habit. The only way to have the happiness you deserve is to let go, which I realize is far from a random act of courage. You may have to dig deep down and summon your bravery. And as a general rule, it's truly vital to repel negative people however and whenever possible. There may be difficult conversations to be had, but the alternative is to continue to let others sap your energy and hold you back. Of course, interpersonal energy exchanges go both ways, which makes this the time to revisit the responsibility to keep tabs on your own negativity. Like, you may not realize how much you complain. How serious are the things that bother you? And put it into context. Are you complaining about a negative experience in a restaurant or is it about your doctor's misdiagnosis? Catch yourself and try to be objective about whether it is justified and to what degree and with whom you choose to share that neg. Could it be that you are complaining for the sake of complaining? Could this be a sign that you're someone who lets negativity build up inside you like a pressure cooker? And your complaints are the release valve. If this point resonates with you, then please consider how holding on to that energy is bad for your health, as well as the well-being of those closest to you. If all you do is complain without trying to make things better, then the complaint is in the mirror. Minimize the negativity and save yourself and others from the stress. As the saying goes, don't sweat the small stuff. And given the well-established fact that there's only ever one person we can control, we also face the ongoing challenge about handling whenever someone else gets out of line, at least in your opinion and or perception. And here's a way to stay positive or at least neutral with managing energy. This can apply to any time someone says or does something that bothers you. Your immediate impulse may be to push back and say something. This could lead to any number of different spirals, such as an argument or rehashing something over and over again that leads to suffering through the resulting negativity and energy drain. Does this sound familiar? Now, Go back to the original comment or action. Maybe they're just having a bad day and not respecting how their negativity affects you. Could this have been a single occurrence? If your ultimate objective is to prevent someone from saying or doing something again, then why say anything the first time? Consider giving them a pass instead, which is more about acting in your own best interests. So, whenever possible, head off sources of stress by drawing on compassion and empathy. Patience is everything. So, imagine yourself having limitless patience and compassion until you actually do. All right, I understand that's a tall order. But think about it. By saying or doing something in response, you may very well be the actual cause of the very thing you want to prevent. In short, 
as hard as it can be, it may be best to wait until the second time someone says or does something you do not want them to do again. Save yourself the grief and the resulting self-inflicted wounds. Trust me, this is an energy saver. Along the same lines is another worthy question to ask yourself with brutal honesty. Who, if anyone, do you allow to judge you? Do you internalize those opinions and allow that energy to impact your well-being? What would it be like to flat out stop caring what others, or at least certain individuals, think of you? How freeing would that feel? And what positive energy would you draw from trusting your own opinion while not allowing those of others to drag you down? Increasing positivity and bringing more joy into life doesn't have to be difficult or strange. We all manage energy in one way, shape, or form every day. It's not so simply a matter of applied will. Here's an idea. Make an intentional choice and take action to expand your tribe. Like, choose three acquaintances in your periphery. It could be a work colleague or a friend of a friend or an acquaintance on social media. Now, go make friends. You're also free to invite and seek out more positivity from the relationships you already have. Who in your life always makes you smile and lifts you up. Spend more time with them. Get into action. Give someone you like the pleasant surprise of reaching out. Invite them out for coffee or an alternative beverage, be that in person or virtually. They'll almost surely be glad that you took the initiative to get together and then go have fun. If you find yourself at peace with all the members of your tribe, that's phenomenal. Here's a good time for you to consider what you can do to enrich those relationships to create more fulfillment. And one closing thought about interpersonal energy is a reminder that you will always encounter your share of irritable restaurant servers, among others, in social settings. But instead of adapting to that energy in the room, try being the one to influence it. And while you're at it, please feel welcome to send some positive vibes my way. All right, that brings us to the importance of managing energy universally, which we can categorize as being external forces beyond our exchanges among interpersonal relationships. Taking this topic to the nth degree would lead us to the essence of energy itself to explore how every thought, feeling, and action has an energy consequence, and how that energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be transferred. And this being more in the realm of quantum physics and the law of attraction, it's more than a little too broad for our purposes here, but we can and will explore this another time. Let's start small instead, by taking inventory of environmental influences that cause you to absorb negativity. A simple example is to take a news diet. Like, let's face it, the news tends to be much more negative 
And it's all too easy to get sucked into the likes of anything from politics and world crises to disasters, local tragedies, and pandemics. And while social media surely involves interpersonal relationships, as well as encountering strangers, it also has a certain collective energy that can take on a life of its own. Like, the next thing you know, you find yourself in a heated exchange that feeds on itself. Of course, your best course is not to engage in the first place, but your fallback position is to mitigate and save yourself and others the trouble by withdrawing from that negative exchange. In contrast, is to draw positive energy from the environments best described as those that feed your soul. This brings us back once again to practicing mindfulness to experience joy in the moment and amplifying that awareness through the power of gratitude. This is another broad subject by itself, some of which was discussed during the topic of perception. Consider being proactive about embedding opportunities to experience joy in the moment into daily routines, such as by setting alerts on your phone to take one minute, four to five times a day. If you've yet to experience that, I encourage you to give it a try. Feeding your soul can be something in nature or simply interacting with your pet. These are proactive approaches to managing energy universally. Now, for some of us, is another matter of importance. Our spiritual connection with a belief, trust, and faith in God through one form of religion or another. And that practice has a lot to do with a sense of community. And there are certain mystical and intangible aspects of whatever relationships we have with our spirituality. And given that this is a very personal decision and a unique experience with many variables, we'll refrain from exploring this topic much further. I'm also pretty sure that being raised Jewish and attending a Catholic high school still does not qualify me as a trained theologian or academic philosopher, which is to say that we are not going to solve a many-a-millennia debate here. What I will say, and am about to, is that among the many unsolvable things we experience in life, having faith is a reliable way to take comfort and make sense of the world around us. As such, one's faith also plays a significant role that filters and shapes our perceptions and obviously our belief systems overall. Having said all that, we probably cannot wrap up this facet of managing universal energy without further exploring karma. For those of you who believe in any aspect of it, you already know what karma means to you. But in however many ways anyone might believe in karma, the common theme is one of energy transference, which is consistent with what we've just covered. You may have heard me refer to acts of kindness as being practical, at least in a general sense. However, in the purest sense, that concept is oxymoronic. In and unto itself, true kindness isn't practical. It's about being selfless. 
But in the realm of karma, especially in the long run, kindness is entirely practical. For instance, in business dealings, if someone takes advantage of another, they may win in the short term. True spiders get an emotional high out of it. Maybe they even make more of a profit. Aside from natural karma, however that plays out, there are so many things that can go wrong, which are all under the radar. Like, that person they wronged can talk badly of them to someone else, and they lose a business opportunity without ever knowing it. That person will never refer business to them, so they miss out on more opportunities. Or that person may become very successful and more influential in the future. Not being kind, such as by cheating others, simply doesn't make long-term business sense. Again, one might benefit in the short term, but over 5 to 10 or 15 years, I doubt many people end up better for it. Kindness is not just good karma, it stacks the odds in our favor in our careers and in life overall. Just remember to treat others as you would want others to treat you because, at least when it comes to karma, what comes around goes around. Now, putting all of these various interactions with managing energy into context brings us back to the power source with managing our personal well-being. We've already covered the various aspects involving mood health, so let's round out our holistic approach here by focusing on physical health and being a life athlete. As a reminder, I am still not a doctor and can only speak from personal experience, which is to say that the science and techniques about self-care worth sharing here are supported by any number of experts. Earlier, I mentioned Brendan Burchard, who does a great job with habits for success, obviously including self-care. And, of course, there's no shortage of experts and models to reach the peak of human performance. And you may already have your go-to fitness guru along these lines. One source I found especially helpful with sound approaches to maintaining a high quality of life, is a book called The Power of Full Engagement, which is by Jim Lohr and Tony Schwartz. And as a premise, these guys started out by working with professional athletes, and they developed a system to help them perform at their best. Yet the tools they employed were not specific to the client's sport or technical prowess. They were about what they view as the four pillars to align human energy. Full engagement takes the same system they use to help athletes at the very top of their game, and they apply it to what they call the business athlete. And though the book was marketed to help professionals, the foundation for personal development here is universal. And it focuses on four separate but related sources of personal energy and our ability to expend and recover each at their respective levels. Like they illustrate them as building upon one another, which reminds me of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs or even the food pyramid. So let's run through these. At the foundation of this approach is being 
physically energized. Its capacity is defined by the quantity of energy carried into our heart, lungs, abdominals, shoulders, back, legs, and arms. Supportive habits and skills involve sleep, exercise, diet, and hydration. Next is being emotionally connected, which is defined by the quality of energy found in our self-confidence, self-regulation, interpersonal effectiveness, and ability to empathize. Supportive habits and skills involve patience, openness, trust, and enjoyment. Being mentally focused is the third tier. Its capacity is defined by the center of our energy as it relates to realistic optimism, time management, and creativity. Supportive habits and skills involve visualization, positive self-talk, a positive attitude, and mental preparation. Finally, the top level is for an individual to come into full energetic balance by being spiritually aligned, which they define by the force of our energy as it relates to character, passion, commitment, integrity, and service to others. Supportive habits and skills involve honesty, integrity, courage, and persistence. Note that this reference to spiritual energy is not specific to religious faith as much as it is a broad belief system and strength of character. Optimal performance requires the greatest quantity, highest quality, clearest focus, and maximum force of energy. And they explain how most of us are physically and spiritually undertrained in terms of there not being enough stress, as they describe, and mentally and emotionally overtrained without enough recovery. Naturally, the book goes much deeper into these various facets of maximizing personal energy while including exercises to help you develop a practical approach to put these priorities into action. It provides strategies and practices to achieve optimal performance while teaching how to recognize and avoid the barriers to full engagement in the hopes that you develop positive rituals to bring it all together. Of course, any book or other source covering these topics emphasize similar things because they're grounded in well-established science with techniques that are tried and true. So while this book goes back a few years, what still sticks with me is their approach emphasizes how managing energy, not time, is the key to high performance and personal renewal, which by no coincidence is also the subtitle. Okay, staying in my wheelhouse here, I encourage you to seek out other similar sources of information that resonate, motivate, and guide you in related ways. Now, clearly, I cannot be the expert in every topic, be that mood health or about perception, and surely not about exercise physiology and nutrition. But it is important to me to add value by creating practical tools, like those in the book, including the perception snapshot and the mood scale, 
And the same goes here for maintaining well-being with something called the self-care report card, which is also in Zisms. But I've just made this free to download on my site. Essentially, it's a quick and easy self-accountability tool for you and others to track and rate yourselves. In terms of my personal experience in relation to the power of full engagement, it's apparent why physical health is the first tier of their energy management model. And how we treat our bodies matters more than too many people ignore. And admittedly, I cannot claim total innocence on this topic any more than most people. And while I share the view about fitness being most vital, the report card has less to do with other energy modalities discussed in being emotionally connected, mentally focused, and spiritually aligned. It's more about a lifestyle and belief system to maintain overall well-being. And within health and physical energy being most essential, the other priorities are for sleep, nutrition, hydration, and stress management. And naturally, as you might expect with a report card, it has a point system with 100 being the perfect score, as well as incorporates a weighted algorithm, again with physical activity being the highest point getter, followed by sleep and nutrition, combined with hydration, and managing stress levels on a weekly basis. The assessment for stress is scored in the opposite way as the other criteria, which is to say it's about how little stress was incurred, be it by having a peaceful number of days, and especially your ability to prevent, mitigate, and release the remaining unavoidable occurrences you encounter. Once again, this too regards the effective application of earned confidence. So, for credibility purposes, the report card scoring system relies on guidelines for optimal activity, those being for exercise from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, recommendations for shut-eye by the National Sleep Foundation, the Healthy Food Pyramid by Harvard, proper hydration from the Mayo Clinic, and stress management thresholds, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. You know, saying it out loud, that really does sound trustworthy. Now, the report card may not be perfect, but I think you'll find it to be useful as a benchmark and to improve your healthy habits. Of course, the true test will be for it to help you get into better shape, sleep well, stay sharp, stress less, and be the best possible version of an elite life athlete. Because if there's any one thing about which I'm absolutely certain, it's that you deserve it. So be sure to check that out and get your very own self-care report card at mattzinman.com. Maybe give it a try every day for a week and or maybe once a week. Just be a bit more mindful of your daily activities so it's easy to grade yourself. Just see how it goes. Also, please feel free to let others know about the report card. Even if they don't hear the podcast or read the book, they may still find it helpful as a self-accountability tool. One final note here is that next week's guest episode will, for the first time, 
have a much different format and purpose than all prior and likely future shows. Now, you may recall my mentioning during last week's solo show about Minding Your Mood Health that I was also considering having an expert to discuss the broader and more timely issues about mental well-being. So given the coinciding observance with September being Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, joining me for that vital conversation will be Dr. Lisa Horowitz, clinical psychologist and a staff scientist at the National Institute of Mental Health. In addition, Dr. Horowitz is an expert in pediatric psychology, and so we'll also discuss the importance to destigmatize mental health and suicide among kids, as well as how to talk with them to see if they're at risk and what to do about it. This impacts a lot of people. I believe it affects everyone in some way at some point, and we're living in an especially vulnerable time. And with this topic meaning so much to me, I just want to do my part. As always, the ultimate purpose is to uncover practical tips to put into action. Obviously, it will be more serious and educational than other shows with a slight technical slant. But I do hope you can join me and Dr. Horowitz on Tuesday. Okay, that covers that. Once again, thank you very much for joining me. I hope you'll take with you more and better ways to manage your energy personally, interpersonally, and universally. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Insights to Live By. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Matthew Zinman and join our community at InsightsToLiveBy.com. Wishing you and yours an enriching day, and we'll see you next time.